Oh, hello, creeps. <laughs> I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. I hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. So from what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Mom, do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. I do that. I killed you with Danny. You did this to me. Didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Here's Johnny. <laughs> hello, hello. Welcome to a very spooky episode of the Unrestricted Movie Podcast with Josh and Ryan. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan. And of course, I am Josh, here along for the ride. What's up, Josh? I'm sorry, Ryan. Josh isn't here right now. <laughs> oh my god. Who's that, Josh? I'm Tony. So, so Josh is moving his finger... But somewhere... I told you, Josh isn't here right okay, now. Okay, so Josh's finger, I guess, is named Tony, and he's talking to me right now. I'm Tony. So I, I got a little bit of feedback from uh, one of our active listeners, um, my wife, <laughs> who uh, mentioned that she hates when I do the voices on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> but, but I think it's good that you're trying voices. Josh? I told you. To- oh, I'm Tony. Damn it, I finally decided to do oh, a voice. Josh, you're back. Woo. So it Wait. was a voice. Or was what? it Tony? I don't know what happened. Uh, your finger was talking for oh, you. I think I just blanked out for a minute. That was weird. I think you have The Shining. I have The Shining? Yeah. Because that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Oh my god, yes, yes, yes. We're talking about the 1977 Stephen Kubrick film, The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson. And others. <laughs> and others. Dan, starring Danny. Starring Danny, of course. Um, what do you think of this movie? You've never seen it before? Mm. General thoughts. You know, oh, this was a pretty kick-ass movie, actually. I liked it a lot. Yeah? Yeah. And I'm not, like, a super scary movie person, but this wasn't, like, stick my hand into a blender movie like <laughs> horror movie it was like a cool suspenseful a slow a little bit of a slow burn especially at the beginning sure and uh very suspenseful and i i really enjoyed watching it so a stick your hand in a blender type of horror movie would be something like what like final destination um i mean i've never seen saw but it's what mm. i would picture saw being like just Tor- lots of like torture porn yeah i mean I guess you could call it that. Just <laughs> blood and guts and thing, you know, things getting chopped off and wow, that right. kind of thing. Like it's not a slasher movie. There, uh, Jack tries to chop a lot of things off in this movie, but it doesn't succeed. Pretty unsuccessfully. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Poor he Jack. does succeed a little bit, but we'll yeah. get into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There, yeah. Yes, that is true. So Some, somewhat successfully. So you enjoyed this movie. Were you able to watch it in one sitting? Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to watch it in one sitting. Okay. That's um, kind of a long movie. I It was like half and half. It was okay. like half and half viewing for me. All right. I mean, it, it gets it gets your anxiety very built up, especially toward the middle. And Actually, I think you know what? It's necessary, to be honest. Fair enough. My anxiety went through the roof from the very beginning with the freaking music. Mm. That the whole... I mean... Like that. Right. So we, we start the movie with an overhead shot. I mean, this was a, a helicopter aerial shot 
that nowadays would be filmed by drone, right? Mm -hmm. And it's flying over this forest, and like you say, this music comes in. Uh, yeah, that was a great score. Um, and so let's get into kind of the beginnings, the origins of this film. Um, do you know what it's based on, where, where it comes from? Honestly, I have no idea. I did not do any research before jumping into this movie. Okay. So Other than just what I have picked up from sort of like pop culture and The Simpsons. Hey, I found a shortcut through a hedge maze. Get away, you little! No, no, go easy on the wee one. His father's gonna go crazy and chop them all into haggis. What's haggis? <gasps> Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh, you wanna get sued? This movie is referenced quite a bit in The Simpsons and, and other uh, media. Ready Player One. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ready Player One has a bunch of scenes in the... Almost right from them, yeah. Um, no, so this, uh, this movie is based on a... Stephen King novel. Um, the novel was written in 1977. It was his third published novel. Are you a Stephen King fan at all? I have not read any Stephen King. Really? None? Not one book, okay. actually. <laughs> that is crazy <laughs> to hear. Sorry to disappoint you, Ryan. That's okay. Um, I think I think Stephen King would have been considered naughty to read. Are, are you a fan of a horror genre when it comes to novels? Uh, no, not particularly. No? Okay. I mean... I take that back. I used to read a bit of Dean Koontz, mm. and I, you know, th that's some horror stuff there. But um, it's been a long time since I've read anything like that. So I don't want to throw a lot of shade at Dean Koontz, but I think for a lot of people, especially Stephen King fans, mm -hmm. he's like the you know the knockoff version of he's Stephen the, King. Yeah, you know, a poor man's Stephen King. Yeah, um, but yeah, this was Stephen King's third novel um, after Carrie. You've heard of Carrie, mm -hmm. right? That's another movie we can watch down that the line. That would be awesome. And after um, Salem's Lot. Oh. And it's funny the I, I listened to the audiobook not too long ago, and it was narrated by the actor Stephen Weber, who played Jack Torrance in the TV miniseries of The Shining. Oh, I did not even know that existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a TV miniseries. Is that it worth my? Is it worth my time? Well, Stephen King would like to think so. Oh, did he have more of a hand in it, or he did have more of a hand in it? Okay. He had, and he approved of it more than he did the 1977 or the 1979. Is it, when did the film come out? 1980. I was gonna say 80. Okay, he yeah. approved more of the TV miniseries than he did of Stephen of Stanley Kubrick's film. Okay. I'm going to be messing up names like crazy here. That's okay. Just educate me, Ryan. <laughs> educate me. Are you familiar with Stanley Kubrick films? I saw, let's see. I watched like the first 10 minutes of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. That's a start. I did not make it very far. You made it to where the monkey threw the bone in the that's air? The, that's, that's where I stopped right there, actually. <laughs> that is where I stopped. So... What about... Um, Give me some other examples, because I know there... I'm sure well, I've seen I, something. Most of his films are rated R, so you wouldn't have seen oh. most of them. Damn it. Um, there is... Let's see. There's Dr. Strangelove. That, that one's not rated R. Never heard nope. of that one? I, uh, I've heard of it. Never okay. seen it. It's got the guy that played the Pink Panther. Ah, okay. Let's see. Most of his other films that are popular are rated R. Uh, Full Metal Jacket... Ooh, I've heard of Eyes that Wide Shut. So I just want to kind of go over a little bit of Stephen King, just because it's, it, he has, you know, a very prominent role in the making of this film, you know. So his uh, novelization of The Shining um, is one of his only novels. There's a, a couple, but it's one of his only novels that doesn't take place in Maine. So he grew up in Maine, mm -hmm. and most of his novels take place in small towns in mm -hmm. Maine. There's just right. something creepy about the forest, right? And almost all of them are, like, interconnected. Like, there's a whole Stephen King universe. Is it, a Stephen, it really is a Stephen King universe? Yes. There's even a Hulu series. Are there any, like, crossovers? or? So, so there's a Hulu series right now that's going on um, that kind of takes a lot of these stories and, and melds them together. Oh, that's um, You should check awesome. it out. It's, um, it is called Castle Rock. Okay, I think I've... Heard the name. I think I've you, heard the title. You probably heard the name because Castle Rock Entertainment is Rob Reiner's production company. Oh. <laughs> okay. Rings a bell. Can't tell you anything about it. And it's because Rob Reiner directed the movie Misery with Kathy Bates, <gasps> which was based on a Stephen King book. Okay. So, 
I have read the book and seen that movie. Okay. We've got, I remember now, because it's like seriously one of my favorite movies ever. So you have I read a Stephen King movie. book and yeah. you've read and you've seen a movie based on a Stephen King book. Yes, I have. And nice. I believe Misery is rated R. Yes, it is. So somehow I defied all odds and saw that movie. <laughs> Maybe it was like a TV thing or it's something, but I love that. That movie is yeah. on point. So Castle Rock um, has a younger version of the main character from Misery. Okay. The, okay. the woman. Well, I don't have to. Is Kathy Bates in it? No. Oh. I just thought of another one. Secret Window mm-hmm. is based off of a short story or something by <laughs> Stephen King, right? Yes. Okay, so there's number two. Okay. Also, PG thirteen, but really, yeah. I know PG thirteen. That's why I've seen it. Also, <laughs> really enjoy that movie. Did you? I did. It was good. I, I thought John Chitoro was was good as kind of a kind of bad guy. <laughs> was the imaginary bad guy? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. Huh? He ends up being a figment of his imagination because uh, he's imagine. crazy. Because right. Johnny Depp is crazy, of course. I don't remember a lot from that film. I'll have to it, give it a rewatch. Give it a rewatch. I, it's it's good. I like that one a lot. It's like again, it's like this right suspense movie uh, like a th- it's more of a thriller than a horror movie and that's right. sort of my would be more of my wheelhouse yeah so uh stephen king based the overlook hotel that we see in the movie um for his book he based the hotel on the stanley hotel which is an actual hotel which exists in colorado yeah so basically what happened is um stephen king and his wife stayed at the stanley hotel uh one weekend and they were the only guests staying there and um, because it was closing for the season just like the movie Mm -hmm. and so they were in the big dining hall eating alone with recorded orchestral music in the background and then after dinner his wife went to sleep and Stephen King is just roaming the hallways alone that messed up going room to room (laughs) yeah um, so he took inspiration for his book from other bo- uh, books that you may recognize. Um, I'm just going to name a few here. Uh, Haunting of Hill House. That was a Shirley Jackson novel. Okay. That was an inspiration for a lot of haunted house movies that, mm-hmm. that came after. Um, also took ideas from his other underdeveloped stories to kind of meld them together and write The, the Shining. Okay. So I have to ask you, Ryan, have you read the book? I have read the book and I've listened to the audiobook. And how does that compare with the film adaptation that we're discussing? So there are differences. Um, I wrote down some changes that were made between the book and the movie. Um, do you want to get into those now? If you want, we can wait. I would just, I'm just, since we were talking about the book, I was curious. Well, let's go ahead. Um, so some changes that I, I wrote down here was some, there, there's some subtle changes and then there's some changes that really, you know, change up the story. So the, uh, the first subtle change is the main character in the book is named John, whereas in the movie it's Jack. So, was that where we get the famous "Here's Johnny," or did that just? <laughs> it could they could be hinting toward that, but I think it was more of um, Jack Nicholson just riffing. Okay, just, just Jack being Jack. Right. Okay. Fair enough. And I don't know if um, Jack Nicholson wanted to be called Jack for <laughs> comfortability. Um, but well, maybe knows? that's what I don't know. There must be some story. There's got to be some story behind that. So right. if you know and you're listening. <laughs> Let me know. I'm pretty sure sure Jack Nicholson just wanted to imitate The Tonight Show, you know? Just did whatever. The, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Johnny. Johnny. Um, another <laughs> difference from the book to the movie was room 217 in the book was changed to room 237 because the existing Stanley Hotel didn't want their existing room of 217 to be thought of as a haunted room. So they chose, uh, they wanted the movie uh, producers to okay. change the room to a non-existing room in the Stanley So Hotel. there is no 237. There's no 237. But there is the 217. The right. Right. So that plan probably backfired by now. I'm sure they've got <laughs> people going to 217 all the time now. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a huge tourist and it destination. Okay. Um, a couple more here. The, the supernatural elements of the movie are much more ambiguous and symbolic. So, for example, Kubrick allows us to believe it's possible that Jack, in the movie, is just imagining all the ghosts. Whereas in the book, it's it's very clear-cut that, no, there are ghosts. It's very literal? It's very literal. Okay. 
Because I have to say, and I know I'm going to jump like halfway into the movie now, there's the scene where, with the typewriter scene, and when the typewriter scene happens, and you realize he's just been writing the same line over and over the entire time, it makes me think that he was just crazy psycho the whole time. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I had to bring that in. For real, like, there, there are elements of um, him losing his sanity very, the, very early on in the film. By the way, that's my favorite scene from the movie. It's right. very good. It's yeah. very, just the cinematography is really good. Right and on. just her her facial expressions when she sees the paper, you know. Mm-hmm. Sh- mm-hmm. Shelley Duvall, the actress, yes. is really good. Um, just a couple other things. Um, the garden, to equate the, the topiaries, mm-hmm. the, the garden animals in the book, you probably don't know about this. So, so in the movie, there's a maze, right? Uh-huh. There's a garden maze. In the book, there's no maze. It's a bunch of topiaries, like garden creatures. Uh-huh. Kind of like an Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Okay. So, and these creatures, the, these topiaries, come to life in the book and Ooh. attack. <laughs> Missed opportunity, Mr. Right. Kubrick. That would have been awesome. Um, in the book, the ghosts actually lead to John's madness, where in, in the movie, as we mentioned, he's kind of already going mad, possibly uh-huh. because of his, um, you know... Alcoholism? His alcoholism mm-hmm. and, and, and really wanting to drink. Um, but also, you know, because of the isolation, the, the writer's block, there's a lot of drivers that are making him, you know, go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, the, I, I wrote this down. In the book, it seems like he's losing his mind from the outside, right? While in the movie, he's losing his mind from the inside. So there's outside yes, factors in the book that are making him lose his mind. Whereas in the movie, it's really just him. It's internal. Yeah. Right. Uh, last thing, in the book, um, John, the Jack character, dies after being blown up in the boiler room. Whereas in the movie, you know how he dies. He turns into a jack skull. <laughs> he freezes to death. <laughs> Outside the maze, or inside the maze, right? Uh-huh. The title, The Shining, was actually taken from a John Lennon lyric. Um, oh. There's a song of his uh, where there's a lyric, it goes, We All Shine On. And Stephen King was inspired by that. Let me all shine on. Okay, you know Is the that song. It? I yes. wasn't aware of it. I, I, I'm not familiar I got with it. Song. Yeah, I do know that lyric. Thank you. Stephen King's editor tried to talk him out of writing the book so that he wouldn't be pigeonholed as a horror writer. Because he had already written two horror books, he wanted him to branch off into other genres. I'd say it worked out pretty well for him, don't you, Ryan? (laughs) Well, Stephen King thought so, and he knew what he wanted to write. That's awesome how there's a writer or just a person, a creative person, who knows what they want to do Mm -hmm. and sticks with it. You know, you don't have to be able to do everything. You know, sometimes you have a calling, whatever you will, and that's just what you're supposed to do. Right. Supposed to do. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I have, you guys have a little <laughs> bit of bourbon. All right. You don't know because you can't see through the microphone. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm so, sorry. So we, we are drinking a bit of bourbon. Um, so let's talk about the alcoholism things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so Stephen King was um, inspired by his own alcoholism okay. to write the story, and his previous interactions and and interactions that he didn't want to have with his own children. So he wrote this when he had two young children, mm-hmm. and he, I believe he was sober at the time, but he did have you know past instances of of alcoholic episodes Mm -hmm. with his family. But, you know, we've all been a frustrated parent. Mm -hmm. So in some ways I can identify with Jack. In other ways, I don't know. He does go crazy. But, but you, I don't know. It's a big part of him descending into his madness Mm -hmm. that he cannot get over the guilt of hurting his child. Right. It's a big mover in the in the film right i think jack and john in the book they represent the possibility for dissension for any of us Mm -hmm. into madness into a loss of control um in this podcast we like to tie 
these themes back to um, our history, our religious history. And I want to know what you think about the LDS patriarchal standard of Father Knows Best. Well, I'm just going to say that it's total bullshit. Okay, I'm just going to go right out there and say that. Um, the amount of pressure that I that male members of the church feel is real. Yeah. Um, I've been there myself that we feel held to a certain standard or tied to certain gender roles that I, I don't think that is best for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, can, I, can I it's a heavy here? subject. Go ahead. No, I think that's great. I think also that women in the church are, are relegated to a, a submissive role mm-hmm. to their husbands and they're, they take a submissive role in the family. Um, and it's not just father knows best, it's father has the authority. So it's a very authoritarian relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I see that in this movie with Wendy taking a very submissive role. And that's actually one of the issues that Stephen King had with the characterization of Wendy in the film. Because in the book, she takes she doesn't take a submissive role. She's very vocal about her, about opposing uh, John's mm-hmm. uh, descent into madness and, and, and saying, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah, you're right. I mean, she has a few moments in the film, mm-hmm. but much more, well, very submissive. Yeah, I think Shelley Duvall, the actress, did a wonderful yes, job. Yes, she did in this movie and it's something that not a lot of actresses can portray is this because I don't necessarily agree with Stephen King about like like I I kind of applaud Stanley Kubrick's choice to characterize Wendy in this way because I think it might be a little more realistic for a woman who's in that type of abusive relationship Mm -hmm. who doesn't necessarily want to take on a submissive role but is unable or feels unable to to stand up to the abuse but hey she kicks his ass down the stairs right so she you know she's a strong woman yes and that is you know the scene that you mentioned that the typewriter scene ends in the culmination of her Hitting him with the bat. Hell yeah. Hit that motherfucker in the head (laughs) with the bat. What should be done with him? I don't know. I don't think that's true. I think you have some very definite ideas about what should be done with Danny. And I'd like to know what they are. You think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? <laughs> when do you think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? As soon as possible. As soon as possible. Jack. <laughs> you believe his health might be at stake? Yes. You are concerned about him. And are you concerned about me? Of course I am. Of course you are. Have you ever thought about my responsibilities? Oh, Nick, what are you talking about? Have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Um, so, and I just want to talk a little bit about the production. We won't talk long about it. So, uh, we talked about Stephen King not being, um, too pleased with, with Kubrick's changes. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubrick, if you don't know, was known to be a stringent perfectionist. Okay. With his actors, with his crew. Um, he's known for taking multiple takes more than most directors. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very torturous toward the actress, uh, Shelley Duvall, the the actress who played Wendy, um, during the production, he made her do 30 plus takes. And the scene that we're talking about, the baseball bat scene, Mm -hmm. has a, um, it broke a record for the most takes taken in a film. They took 127 takes. Okay, now, I feel bad for Shelley Duvall, but at the same time, (laughs) who is the stunt double? You know, who had to fall down the freaking stairs that many times. 
What if Jack Nicholson is like Tom Cruise and, and there's no way in sense. hell he fell down the stairs? How many takes did they do? 127. There's no way in hell Jack Nicholson fell down the stairs 127 times. It has a Guinness World Record for the most takes <laughs> in a film. Um, and Kubrick also instructed other crew members to be unsympathetic toward she- Shelley Duvall and, and ignore her because she would have pleas of, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not comfortable with this and, and that, but he, he told other crew members to ignore her. Well, that's not right. You know, right. she suffered mentally and physically for this role, and um, I think that affected her later mm-hmm. on in years. Um, she actually appeared not too long ago, a, a few years ago, on the Dr. Phil show. Oh, really? <laughs> and I can talk about Dr. Phil in another episode. I think he's a piece of shit. But he basically exploited Shelley Duvall in this episode mm-hmm. because she's going through some mental health crisis. She needs a really good... I mean, I would hope that she had been able to find a really good therapist. And, um, anyways, uh, what do you think of Jack Nicholson in this film? Oh, Jack Nicholson in this film nailed it. Right? Like, prime, I mean, prime Jack Nicholson. This is, like, this is good stuff right here he was made for this movie oh absolutely i mean i don't know how i cannot picture that role as anybody else jack you know? jack personified jack <laughs> fair enough yes um have you seen how many uh jack nicholson films mm. are you familiar with batman okay okay Joker, obviously yeah. um he was in a film with, oh God, he was in this terrible film, Anger Management, with, with Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. <laughs> I like that one. And then, um, as good as it gets, I... Th- mm-hmm. He plays a writer in that one. Maybe well. have seen that movie, but I, it's been a long time. He's like a misogynistic writer who mm-hmm. changes his tune. Helen Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so other rated R credits that he has that you may have not seen, uh, because that's the premise of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chinatown. Have you seen that one? No. Okay. That's a it's good on one. The li- is it on the list? It's a, a yeah. Yeah. It's a, a film noir. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay. You've I've seen, seen that, that right? one. Okay. I have, okay. In I, school, right? <laughs> I broke the rules, you guys. Uh, okay. When I started college, mm. uh, I love film, and so I took a few film classes, mm. okay, a few film courses. That was one of the films that we watched. Fell in love with it. Yeah. I read the book. Mm-hmm. The book is wonderful. Yeah. So, yes. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, one of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. I, I love the book. I love the film. Um, they recently turned the character Nurse Ratchet into a TV oh, yeah. series. I haven't seen that shit. Is it good? It. I don't know. Oh, you haven't it. seen it? It's a Ryan Murphy show, so you know it's going to be campy, but maybe good? <laughs> well, I don't know. I have a problem. Okay, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Tangent, I have a problem with taking classic films mm-hmm. and doing new shit with it. Yeah. Uh, and especially remakes. Okay, I'm sorry. Like the Ben-Hur yeah. remake. Mm. Refuse to see it. I haven't seen it. Refuse. So. Why would they remake that? There's, it's a classic. Yeah. Like, at some point, you have to draw a line at what you're willing to remake or redo. Like, you can't get it. It doesn't get better than, than her. I, 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 think, I, I think people know what's tacky and what's sacrilegious. And I think the Ben-Hur remake is tacky, but I think it would be sacrilegious, and I think that's why nobody has done it, to remake The Wizard of Oz. But there's a... Nobody There's has a remade, million versions of it. But nobody has remade the, the Wizard of Oz. There's, there have been what about the Michael Jackson? The Wiz? The Wiz. That's not a remake. That's a... What about the James Franco? That's a sequel. Just leave Wizard of Oz alone. <laughs> leave all the good classic movies alone. This Don't is, do this, this is your that. Leave Britney Alone moment. Leave this Wizard is, of yes. Oz alone. Leave them all alone. Come up with... Come up with new shit, people. I'm sorry. Come up with new stuff. Um, what did you think of the kid actor in this? The, the kid that plays He's really good. So Danny I heard, Lawrence. maybe you're going in this direction, but I heard that when he was acting in the film, they I, told him that it was for a dramatic m- movie. Like uh, it, was a dr- it was a drama film. They didn't tell him that it was horror. And But, I mean, how could you... I, how could you not know what... The, I didn't know that. That kid's got to be scarred for life. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure that they told him Hey, you're just you know reacting to this drama film. Right. Well, I think so, a lot of his shots are reaction shots, and it doesn't necessarily show him and whatever horror trauma is going on mm-hmm. in the same shot. Yeah. So I don't know if he was necessarily traumatized, but 
Um, yeah, I, I didn't know. That I mean, he it. did have to do the <laughs> thing with his finger, like. Right. Um, the actor's name is Danny Lloyd, so mm-hmm. same first name again, mm-hmm. so that's easy. Um, and then, of course, we have the other main character, the one that played Dick Halloran, uh, Scatman Crothers. Mm-hmm. Really good in this film. Yes. I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shiny. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. And sorry to blow the secret, but our next movie is going to be Dr. Sleep. Really good recasting in the next movie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I almost thought it was the same mm-hmm. actor, honestly. So Yeah, the guy the guy that plays uh, uh, Halloran in Dr. Sleep, I remember him from the show Alias. Oh. Um, he's a lot older now. I mean, that was okay. a long time ago, but yeah, yeah he's, he's a really good actor. Um, so let's get back into the movie. Um, we talked about the beginning shots, and um, I, I just want to mention how... The movie has subtle ways of making you feel isolated and make you feel anxious. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways is through the compression of time. Mm. So when we start out in the film, it starts out with, you know, passing months and then passing weeks and then passing days. So it compresses time in a way that makes you feel very so time kind of slows down as you move forward. Mm-hmm. far further into the film right right i get what you're saying that's that's a really good so observation so after the opening jack is interviewed for the caretaker position and he's told that it's going to be a six-month position during the winter off season and he's being warned in that same interview he's being warned that there's going to be isolation there's going to be solitude and he's uh warned about the history of the hotel mm-hmm. right and this is where it's revealed that the previous, uh, one of the previous caretakers, Charles Grady, murdered his whole family. Yes. Including two devilish sisters, which we'll meet later. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jack, he wants this job to write. And this is the what we're being told in the movie. In the book, we're given a little bit more mm-hmm. where we know that he's suspended from his teaching position because he abused Danny. Oh, well, I mean, it's kind of there. Like, you know, you get this hint, like, of what's going on. But, yeah, okay, that's good information. Right. Um, And so Jack, he assures this interviewer guy that his family, Wendy and Danny, they'll love it. Yeah, they'll they'll love Uh it here. You know, it's really... This is all about him. It's all about him. Yeah, of he's course. being very selfish. He's saying, you know, he wants to write. He wants to. He doesn't really care about the the goodwill of his family. Mm-hmm. Well, he writes a wonderful novel while he's at the <laughs> hotel, as we've already discussed. Right. Yeah. And what's the title of that? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, Danny receives his first shining intuition um, at this point in the movie about his father getting the position. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, a, a premonition, you know, things are probably going to go bad. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty obvious from the beginning. And as we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast episode, he calls the shining Tony. He called, you know, that's his imaginary friend. He calls it Tony. And mm-hmm. it's his finger mm-hmm. wagging. Right. <laughs> What do you yes. think about that? I mean, I think you liked it. Creepy as hell, man. Honestly, like that kid actor, creepy as hell. Red rum. 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 And you work with kids. You're, uh-huh. you're a school teacher. Uh-huh. Um, Danny 
obviously developed this um, imaginary friend with his finger wagging, Tony, he developed it as a coping mechanism for the abuse that he went through with his father. Um, well, I mean, also, you know, he has a, a special gift. Is, is Tony really in his head? I, so, right. we're going to jump forward to Dr. Sleep in the future, but he does explain Tony in that movie. Right. In the sequel, but yeah. There are a couple things that happen in the movie that make it apparent that supernatural elements do exist. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of them happens later on in the film when Jack is locked inside the storage room. and Ah, yes. And the, and the ghost of the, the ghost. previous caretaker lets him out. Yes. Otherwise, how did he get out? There's no other physical you know, explanation for that. Right. Um, so they're on the way to the hotel. Um, I thought it was interesting that the family and the car are discussing the, the Donner party incident. <laughs> Another instance of foreboding, you know, right. foreshadowing. There is so much foreshadowing in this movie. So much. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick, aside from being an asshole, <laughs> he was very meticulous in the details he puts in his film, mm-hmm. in his films. Um, so they get to the hotel, they explore the hotel grounds for the first time, and Danny sees the twin sisters for the first time. <laughs> Tell me your first reaction to the, the twins. Um, you being a twin yourself, <laughs> what's your first reaction to these twins? Creepy as hell, again. What is it with creepy ass kids? Okay, so Ryan. Yeah. Maybe this is a better question for me, but I'm going to go there anyway. Go for it. Creepiest character, ghost, monster from the movie. Ready? Go. The creepiest ghost or monster is the the woman in the bathtub. Boom. The naked woman, right? Yes. Okay. And we'll get there. That's in room 277, right? Yes. Okay. Um, Yeah. Although the, the... Creepy sisters are like really close. I mean, just the shock, the the, the body horror, right? Mm-hmm. And and that scene was you know referenced and used in in other media such as Ready Player One. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's right, it's engraved in our minds. It's like know? going from a beautiful naked woman mm-hmm. to like a decomposing corpse, right? A, it's a necrophiliac moment, which is just insane. It drives you insane. It drove Jack insane. I mean, you know, he was probably a little <laughs> crazy before that right. happened, but yeah, right. you know. But he goes, okay, we're, sort of, we're totally jumping around. Okay. But then he goes back to his wife, and he's like, eh, nothing happened. You know, I, didn't, I totally didn't just, you know, see a naked chicken, like, half <laughs> make out with her, and then she was actually, like, a dead ghost. You know, that didn't happen. Right. Wendy was was pleading for help at this moment. You know, her her son was abused by some mysterious woman in room, <laughs> room 237. He goes to investigate, sees this apparition and this, this horrifying moment, and then goes back to Wendy and says, yeah, everything's okay. But it's like, you know, at that point, he's already completely gone. Because any sane person, mm-hmm. after seeing that, would be running out of that place, like, get me the hell out of here, right? Right. The decision to murder his family was not a moment of murderous passion or whatever. It was it was deliberate. It was he in that moment he was he had already decided that he was going to murder his family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so when they first see the hotel, they're they're being shown shown the grounds. They they're shown the maze. They're informed the hotel is built on top of an Indian burial ground. Did you catch that? No. Okay. <laughs> So this is a familiar plot in a lot of um, haunted house films. So you've seen Poltergeist, right? No. Oh, really? No, I haven't oh. seen that one. That well, one's not even rated R, is no, it? No, that's a PG-13 one. But so guys, um, I'm not a horror person. But It has Craig yeah. T. Nelson. and um, No, that's a good one. So so it, 
involves Indian burial burial grounds. And Pet cemetery. Yes. Yeah. I've seen Pet Cemetery. Okay. The crappy new one, you guys. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it, it was after or during around pretty close to my faith transition. So there's... And I got dragged to it. Okay. There's but, this yeah. um, documentary called Room 237, uh-huh. which uh, kind of delves into the conspiracy conspiracy theories of this film. Okay. I'm, I'm Wait, slurring my words cons- a little bit. Listeners. How are there conspiracy theories for a film? Well, let's get into it. It's entertainment. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So, if you listeners are interested, please watch this documentary, uh, Room 237, it talks about the metaphors of Native American genocide and whether Stanley Kubrick meant to make this film as a metaphor for the Holocaust. And also, the most insane conspiracy theory that it delves into is that Kubrick helped to fake the moon landing. <laughs> okay. You heard that right. I mean, has anyone asked him? Has anyone asked Stanley Kubrick? About any of this conspiracy theory stuff? So, have you heard about that? About that conspiracy theory? I haven't. No. I'm, that's totally new information. Okay. But you've heard about the conspiracy of the moon landing being fake. Oh, I've heard right? of that. Okay. Okay. So, the theory goes, which obviously I don't believe. I know we went to the moon. Anyways, the theory goes that um, Stanley Kubrick was hired by NASA to go to this studio and film the moon landing. Hmm. Okay. Right? And fake it. And What does that have to do with The Shining? Um, so apparently in, in Room 237, the documentary, they explore how it's possible that Stanley Kubrick put some hints um, in The Shining movie that he filmed the the moon landing. Um, well, what the, you there, know there's that? one scene where Danny... Stands up and he's wearing an Apollo Eleven shirt. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's not a lot of substantiative evidence. It, it is interesting though. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Back to the movie. All right, let's go. <laughs> Back to the movie. So, I don't know if this is a Stanley Kubrick thing or if it's just special for this movie, but I think Stanley Kubrick is obsessed with long hallways. Why is that? Because. There are so many long hallways in this movie. I don't know if that's meant to just, if that's a a tactic for dismembering, dismembering, disorienting the audience, like, Mm -hmm. or there's something creepy about long, empty hallways. But that was one thing that I, you know, stood out to me as something that was like... Deliberate? Deliberate. Yeah. Yes. And then also his use of color. Mm. There's like a red room, there's a yellow room, mm-hmm. there's a blue room, there's a green room. So use of color and then also long hallways. Right. I think the use of this, uh, uh, the use of the color red in this film really inspired M. Night Shyamalan later on. Mm-hmm. Um, red representing death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think that's right that the the long shots of, of hallways and, and corridors is deliberate. Sure, like we, Danny, Danny on his little tricycle thingy. The and the maze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have it inside and outside. We have long corridors. And yeah, what, what do you think that represents? I, I don't know. <sighs> I wish I knew, but it's a little unsettling in this movie. It's unsettling. Right. Every time I... See I don't know, maybe it's like a suspense thing, but you see someone walking down a long hallway, it's like you feel like something's coming, like a haunted house. I think that's just it. When he's riding his tricycle, you have the, st- the steady cam shot on the tricycle, you really think, it's, it makes you anxious, right? Mm-hmm. You really think something's going to pop out. Right. But in that first tricycle shot, nothing happens. Yeah. It's just him riding down the hallways. But it's scary as fuck. <laughs> It is, man. This movie was like going through a haunted house. Yeah, yeah, it really right. is. Um, and so, uh, uh, Danny's uh, introduced to Dick Halloran. D- Dick um, uh, takes Wendy and Danny on kind of their own tour. Shows them the, the kitchen and the storage room. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, he telepath- telepathically communicates with Danny for the first time. Right. Okay. Um, he knows somehow that his nickname is Doc. Mm-hmm. And which, he kind of explains to him 
what The Shining is, you get a little bit of uh, exposition. Right. And so that nickname, Doc, will come into play later on when we talk about Dr. Sleep. Yes. Uh, he warns Danny to stay away from room 237, where apparently there's violent um, psychic imprints from the past that may still remain in that room. Yes. Uh, which we you know, see later of on. Of course, Danny does a shit terrible job staying away from room 237. <laughs> um, at this point, one month later is shown on the screen. So okay. this is what I was talking about, the compression of time. Yes. We are We go from them arriving at the hotel to one month later. And at this point, everything's going okay. Like, they feel okay in the hotel. Um, Jack hasn't written much of anything, but he hasn't feel, felt really inspired to sit down and write. So he's really not taking the time to sit down at, at his typewriter. Um, but, you know... Wendy's feeling okay in the hotel. She's, you know, making use of her time, and and Danny's like thriving. He's he's just playing. He's having fun. He he may be having you know his episodes where he's seeing apparitions, mm -hmm. but other than that, he's fine. Yeah. And this, you know, one month in the hotel, they're they're perfectly fine. Um, it doesn't take long though for Jack to start losing his cool, as he berates his life for. An, his wife, I am slurring for, my words for, so much. For holding him down. For interrupting him, basically. Right. Yeah. Right? So, he blamed, there's, he places a lot of blame, I think, on his wife and his kid, that he's somehow an unsuccessful person. Uh-huh. For his inability to write? Yes. I don't know. I think in abusive rela relationships, I think that happens so much, where oh. the, the abuser projects onto the victim. Well, for, for sure, Jack is like a narcissist, right? For sure. Okay, like he blames all of his problems on his wife, yeah. his kid. The whole reason why they're there in the first place is just him thinking about himself. Right. Right. So, Wendy at this time, she's spending most of her time just playing with Danny. You know, just, you know, spending time with her son. Jack is losing his mind progressively. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the snowstorm is getting worse and worse. Wendy finds out that the telephone lines are down. But she's able to use the CB radio. Um, Danny's back into room 237 by a tennis ball. Um, Wendy, at one point, she goes to Jack, who's having a nightmare. You know, he has a nightmare that he kills his family. And she goes to console him. Um, but then Danny enters the room, and Danny, at this point, he's sucking his thumb. And Wendy notices bruise marks on Danny's neck. Yes. And that his sweater is torn. Mm -hmm. He did not stay away from 237. He did not stay away. No. The old lady got him. But that's not what she thinks. Of what, course. What does Wendy assume? Well, immediately she assumes that Jack has done whatever to him, scratched him and ripped him. She assumes that he abused him. Right, because it's happened before. Because it's he has a history. Although he says that it was just the one time, and I was just pulling his arm, <laughs> you know. That's a great Jack Nicholson impression. So, so, but you know, just a small tangent. But, yeah. Did Did you ever get um, Jack Nicholas and Jack Nicholson confused? All the freaking time. <laughs> that poor golfer, you know. He right. probably got called Jack Nicholson so many times. Yeah, it's like I, I get Arnold Palmer and Ar Arnold Hammer confused. Except only one of them is a cannibal. I'll let you oh, research okay. to find I out will, which one. I'll be going. I'll be circling back to that later, Ryan. Thank you for Anyways, that information. Um. <laughs> so do you do you actually okay, hold on? So, Ryan, uh, do you think it was actually an accident, or do you think that he's just an abusive person? Like, do you like? I'm curious what you think. If you got a feeling for that. Do you sympathize with him? Do you I, not sympathize? Was it an accident? I think the the film and Jack Nicholson's performance are so ambiguous that they leave it up to the viewer to decide uh -huh. whether all of it is in his head and he is an abusive asshole or whether he's being controlled by apparitions, mm. by supernatural elements. But in the book? In the book... There are enough outside elements that are forcing his hand, whereas 
he does have he does have an abusive John in the book has an abusive past, mm-hmm. but he is um, on the wagon, right? He's stopped drinking. He's trying to take a new job. He's trying to provide for his family. He's got a supportive wife, but these outside elements in the book are forcing his hand. Okay, but I really approve of Stanley Kubrick's choice of okay. ambiguity. To, to leave it up to the viewer to decide whether supernatural elements are causing the the, the torture or whether it is Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that as well. As as the viewer, as a viewer, it makes me interact with the film more when I have to decide for myself based on the evidence and making my own inferences from the film. Right. I appreciate that. Right. I, 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 I don't necessarily like to be spoon-fed everything, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I, I yeah. like the, the cerebral qualities to this movie. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and I can see that a lot of people... I, like, I can see why Stephen King didn't approve of the movie, the, you know, the choices that Stephen Kubrick made, because of the creation. That, like, he created this universe, right? Right. When so many changes are made to your creative decisions, I can see why you would disapprove of them. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, as a viewer, as a fan, I appreciate them both. I appreciate Stephen oh. King's decisions yeah. and Stanley Kubrick's choices. Oh yeah, you can definitely, I think, appreci- appreciate both uh, both mediums. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't so how to choose. So after Wendy accuses Jack of the abuse, um, Jack wan- starts wandering the halls in anger. Mm-hmm. Um, he enters the golden ballroom where he states that he would give his soul for a drink. Yeah. <laughs> does he give his soul for a drink? I mean, he kind of. He kind of does. Kind of does. Kind of does. I mean, he ends up getting that drink. Um, one of the. But by but at this point is is he. I guess we're going to keep circling back to this, but is he just imagining that he's getting a drink? Is he actually becoming intoxicated? Because when he talks to Wendy afterwards, he appears very intoxicated. Mm -hmm. So um, he meets one of the apparitions, Lloyd, the bartender, appears to him and gives him a drink. Um, We... I think right now, at this point in the movie, we know that Jack has the ability to communicate and summon apparitions. Mm -hmm. And for me, I believe that to be one of the abilities of The Shining. So do you think Jack has The Shining? I think that Jack has The Shining. Oh, interesting. Not only that, I think... Later on in the in the movie, we find out that Wendy has some abilities as well. She she starts seeing apparitions and elements. Do you ha- so? Do you have to have the shining to be able to see? I think so. Stuff? You think so? I think so. So not a normal person just w- wouldn't be able to. I don't think every every layman can hmm. just see apparition apparitions in this universe. I think you have to have some abilities. I think it's a spectrum, though. I think. The Shining is is a spectrum where some people have a little bit of The Shining and some people have an augmented portion of The Shining. I like that theory. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really, I never really thought about that. So he possibly has abilities that he passed on to Danny. Um, Lloyd gives Jack a drink. Wendy runs in with a baseball bat seeking his help mm-hmm. uh, to find the woman, and he calls her crazy. He just says, you're uh, insane. He calls her crazy, that yeah. son of a bitch. There's that projection again. Uh-huh. Same kind of projection we see from every abuser to and their victim. This takes place after he's seen the woman, right? Like the... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hello. Yeah. He just got a drink served to him by a freaking ghost. He knows she is not crazy. He knows the facts. But he is projecting his own insecurity onto her. Right. Um, So Halloran uh, receives a telepathic SOS call from Danny at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, Halloran is miles and miles away. um, But he knows he needs to travel... To the hotel to help them. Um, Jack did what Wendy asks him to do, though, and he investigates room two thirty 
237. This is this is where he investigates the room. This oh, is where okay. he right. He sees the apparition, the ghost in the bathtub. Okay, so at this point Jack tries to assure Wendy that there was nothing in the room in room 237, right? Right. And that Danny probably hurt himself. <laughs> Maybe he just hurt himself. Yeah, I mean, he needs a doctor. What a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, this, this dad... Doesn't care, really. ...that this, this son, who's obviously in need of some sort of help, is just hurting himself. Anyways. So Danny, at this point, sees um, red rum written on a, on a door. Um, Jack freaks out on Wendy for suggesting that they leave. Mm-hmm. And Jack goes off the vent and sees a party happening in the ballroom. He gets a drink um, spilled on him by the waiter. That's right. And the waiter yes. takes him to the bathroom. And you mentioned some some color motifs that are in this film. Mm-hmm. The bathroom has a lot of red, right? There's a lot of red in this bathroom. The waiter, uh, do, you rem- do you remember who the waiter is? Well, the waiter is the previous caretaker. Mm-hmm. Who did what? Well, murdered his family. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's Jack 1.0. Right. And he informs Jack that Jack is apparently the eternal caretaker of the hotel. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the waiter is oblivious to what he did in his past. Like, Jack tries mm-hmm. to, tells him, hey, man, you killed your family. Yeah. And the guy's just, like, oblivious. Yeah, and this this guy Grady, he's com- contemptuous. Uh, he tells him his name, Grady, which Jack recognizes as the previous caretaker who murders murders his family. Uh huh. And this guy, in talking to Jack, he's just con- contemptuous. He's racist. He talks about the you know he he mentions the N word mm-hmm. guy who is coming to. Uh, reclaim his family or whatever. Um, oh no no no! Though doesn't he mention that that um, the guy's coming to help them? Yes, that's where he uses that word, right? Yes, yes. And um, uh, Wendy at this point finds that Danny's taken over by Tony. Like like Danny's gone. Danny's went bye bye for a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Uh, Tony goes. Danny's not here. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daddy's not here right now, Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> um, she finds out also that Jack has cut off communication entirely <coughs> by by cutting off the, the CB mm-hmm. communication. Um, so she takes his baseball bat to confront Jack, and she sees what he's been working on, and this is the scene that we've been building up to. This is the best scene in the movie. This is the best scene in all of movie history. Oh wow! Okay, I mean that's that's pretty. <laughs> this is a it's a pretty bold claim. Fucking great scene. So you agree this is the best scene of the movie? This is a okay. Fucking great scene. She sees what he's been working on. All work and no play make Jack a dull boy. There's this confrontation, and uh, Wendy hits Jack with a baseball bat and knocks him unconscious. <laughs> Drags him into the freezer, like the food, well, no, maybe it's not a freezer, but like the food pantry. The, the storage room. The storage room. Right, the, the food storage room. Locks him in there, and um, she finds the, the snow cat, which was disabled by Jack. Oh, yeah. And um, at this point, Grady, the apparition, appears to Jack and unlocks the door. And, you know, we can say at this point that, okay, in the film, there are really supernatural elements taking place. This cannot, that couldn't possibly just be in Jack's head. Right. Um, And he basically tells Jack, okay, I'll let you out, but on the condition that you, you know, kill your family. Like, take take care of them. You know, just take care of them. You know, that's kind of your (laughs) job as the caretakers to kind of kill your family. So, you know, why don't you just do that? He's like, sure. (laughs) I would love to. I'm Jack Nicholson. Where's the axe? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, I'm so fucking drunk. It's all good, man. What do you want to talk about next? So they have to try to escape. Right, so Danny writes red rum on the bedroom door with lipstick. Yeah, okay. Is this the part with the knife where he... (laughs) Okay, so he he writes red rum, 
and at this point, Wendy sees the word red rum in the mirror, and she see what does she see? She sees a red rum backwards, which spells murder, mm-hmm. right? So she knows at this point that Jack is planning on murdering it, the family. Danny is like standing there with a knife, chanting yes. red rum over and over again. <laughs> right, Tony <sighs> possessing Danny is right, threatening Wendy with a knife, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy sees the words backwards, spelling out murder, and then we get to Jack's axe-wielding rampage. Yes. Which is another great scene, you know, another scene that probably caused a lot of trauma to the actress Sh- Sh- Shelley Duvall. I mean, I wouldn't want to see Jack Nicholson's face popping through a door <laughs> at he, me, so... Yeah. Especially if they're doing a million takes of it. (laughs) (laughs) Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. He does the iconic here's Johnny mm-hmm. line. Um, he ends up killing Halloran, which did not happen in the book. Oh. Halloran did not die. Yeah, I mean, I kind of saw it coming, but I did feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, Jack then chases Danny through the maze outside. Uh, Danny escapes through the, the, the bathroom window. Mm-hmm. He goes through the maze, and Jack chases him through the maze outside. Yes, great get, scene. Get more long corridors. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy at this point while Jack is chasing Danny she sees a lot like a fucking lot of weird shit going on in the hotel she sees some apparitions she sees does she see the blood the blood, blood coming out of the yeah. elevator mm-hmm. oh, that is a very iconic scene she and Danny are able to escape in in Dick Calloran's snowcat which he brought uh, R.I.P. Dick Calloran uh, and they leave Jack. He freezes in the snow. Yeah. And uh, we get a okay. slow zoom in at the end of the movie on a 1920s photo of Jack just appearing with people in the 1920s. So he was always the caretaker. So the way I perceived that was that all the people in the photo were like people who were killed, taken sure. by the house, by the hotel. Yeah, just That's apparitions, kind of- just... Just people that were consumed, souls that were consumed by the hotel, and they belonged to the hotel now. Which kind of, kind of moves us along into the sequel, Dr. Sleep, a little bit. And uh, we will be talking about Dr. Sleep on our next episode, so please tune in to the next episode. Um, One thing I did want to mention is that um, J.J. Abrams was linked to develop an Overlook TV series. Um, he, hmm. they were trying to get it to HBO Max, but that fell through. So they're looking for a new, a distributor at this okay. point. So, but in development, it's in development. Okay. I'm not sure if they have a script or actors or anything linked to it, but they hopefully we'll see an Overlook series in the future. Very cool. I would be looking forward to that. I, I'm assuming it'll be like an anthology series or mm-hmm. something. Um, any final thoughts about the movie 1980, The Shining? Well, we need to give it a rating, right? We do. We need to give it some golden idols. Yes. Let's (laughs) give it some of our wonderful golden idols. Okay, so I have to give this one a very, very solid four and a half. Wow. Four and a half golden idols. That is high. I I really, really enjoyed this. And I can see why it's a classic. Like a cult classic film that a lot of people love. And I'm like jumping on the bandwagon with this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. Just, you know, for its inspiration on cinema and, you know, where it places in Stanley Kubrick's uh, timeline of filmography. Yeah, I think this is one of the best films we have in horror. 
And I don't say that lightly. I've seen this film a number of times. I watched it first when I was a child. Oh, God, right? And no wonder you're so screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> I was scarred by this film. Oh, shit. I was scarred by the scene of Wendy seeing the bear giving the man fellatio. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, you know, this is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um... I am going to give this movie, I'm going to go for it, a 5 out of 5. Woo! Okay. Perfect score. I haven't I, given out a perfect score I yet. I didn't so. think I was going to do it this early, but yeah, this The Shining, 1980, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining gets a perfect score. And a 4.5. And um, that's where we'll leave it at this point. Um, if you would like to know more about its sequel, Dr. Sleep, please tune in to the, the next episode, which we'll be <laughs> recording right now. Back-to-back <laughs> -back episode, in our, in our drunken state. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the next one will be wonderful. <laughs> It'll oh be great, God. guys, if you're listening. Uh, tune in to the next episode, Dr. Sleep. Um, we'll be discussing all the things from Ewan McGregor to, um, Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> to Jack Nicholson's sort of appearance To a guy in the movie. that kind of looks like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, uh -huh. anyways, thanks for tuning in. Um, have a great spooky Halloween and a awesome October. Anyways, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. What do you want from me? Why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? What do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me? When we all fall asleep, where do we go? Come here. Say it, spit it out. What is it exactly? The pain is the emotion.